0: the blunderbuss and the fierce air of its owner startled me a little. But I believed no more in brigands, from having heard so much talk about them, and yet having never seen a single one. Besides, I had seen so many honest farmers arm themselves to the teeth, when only going to market, that the sight of firearms did not warrant me in doubting the honesty of the unknown. And then thought I, what in the world could he do with my shirts and my Elzevir commentaries?' So I saluted the man, with the blunderbuss, with a familiar nod, and asked with a smile if I had disturbed his siesta. Without answering, he surveyed me searchingly from head to foot, and then, seemingly satisfied by his examination, he considered with the same attention my advancing guide. I saw the latter turn pale and pause in evident terror. "'An unlucky meeting,' said I to myself, but prudence counseled me at the same time to show no uneasiness.' so I dismounted, and telling my guide to unbridle, I knelt beside the spring and plunged into it my head and hands. Then I took a good long drink lying flat on my belly, like the bad soldiers of Gideon. Meanwhile I kept an eye on my guide and the stranger. The former came forward plainly against his will, and the latter seemed to intend us no evil, for he had released his horse and his blunderbuss, which he had before held ready, now pointed peacefully to the ground." Not thinking it worth while to take offence at the slighting manner in which I was received, I stretched myself upon the grass, and nonchalantly asked the man with the blunderbuss if he had not a tinder-box about him. At the same time I took out my cigar-case. Still silent, he fumbled about in his pocket, brought forth his tinder-box, and set eagerly at work to strike me a light. Evidently he was becoming more civilized, for he sat down opposite me, yet never laid down his weapon.' My cigar lighted. I chose the best one remaining, and asked him if he smoked. Yes, signor, he replied. They were his first words, and I noticed that he did not pronounce the S's after the manner of the Andalusians, from which I concluded that he was a traveller like myself, only less archaeologically inclined. You will find that pretty good, said I, giving him a real Habana regalia. He made me a slight bow, lighted his cigar from mine, thanked me with another bow, and began to smoke with every sign of pleasure. "'Ah!' cried he, letting the smoke of his first puff stream forth from his lips and nostrils. "'How long it is since I have smoked! "'In Spain a cigar offered and accepted "'establishes hospitable relations, "'as in the East does the sharing of bread and salt. "'My man became more talkative than I had hoped. "'Although he claimed to be a native of the province of Montilla, "'he knew little about the neighbourhood. He could not tell the name of the charming valley in which we were. He could not name any neighboring village. And finally, when I asked him if about there had been seen any old broken-down walls, large flanged tiles, or sculptured stones, he confessed that he had never noticed any such things. To make amends, however, he showed himself an expert in horse-flesh. He criticized mine, which was not a difficult task, and then gave me the pedigree of his own which came from the celebrated steed of Cordoba, a noble animal, in fact of such endurance, his master asserted, that he had once ridden him thirty leagues in a day at a gallop or fast trot. In the middle of his tirade, my unknown suddenly checked himself, as if surprised and vexed at having said too much. You see, I was in great haste to get to Cordoba, resumed he with some embarrassment. I had a lawsuit there. He looked searchingly at Antonio, who kept his eyes fixed on the ground. "'The shade in the spring so charmed me that I remembered some slices of ham that some friends of mine at Montilla had put in my guide's wallet. I had them brought, and invited the stranger to share with us the impromptu collation. If he had not smoked for a long time, it seemed to me that he had not eaten for at least forty-eight hours. He fell to, like a famished wolf.' and I considered that our meeting must have been providential for the poor devil. My guide, meanwhile, ate little, drank less, and spoke not at all, though at the commencement of our journey he had shown himself a regular old gossip. The presence of our guests seemed to annoy him, and a certain mutual distrust kept them apart, without my being able to positively define the cause. When the last crumbs of bread and ham had disappeared, and we had each smoked another cigar— I ordered my guide to bridle our horses, and was just going to bid our new friend adieu, when he asked me where I expected to pass the night. Before I could heed a sign that my guide made me, I had answered that I was going to the Benta del Cuervo. A poor shelter for a person like you, senor. I am going there too, and if you will permit it, we will go together. With pleasure, said I, mounting my horse. My guide, who held my stirrup, made me another sign with his eyes. I replied by shrugging my shoulders to assure him of my tranquillity, and we set out. Antonio's mysterious signs, his uneasiness, the few words which had escaped the unknown, particularly his famous ride of thirty leagues, and the doubtful explanation he had given of it, had already formed my opinion of our new travelling companion. I had no doubt but that I had to do with a smuggler, perhaps a robber, but what did it matter?' I knew the Spanish character well enough to fear no evil of a man with whom I had smoked and eaten. His company, even, was a sure protection from all evil comers. Besides, I was glad to know what a real brigand was like. One does not meet them every day, and there is a certain charm in being near a dangerous being, above all, when one finds him good-natured and subdued. I hoped that by degrees I might win the confidence of the unknown— So, despite my guide's winks, I turned the conversation to the subject of highwaymen. You may imagine with what respect I spoke of them. At that time there was, in Andalusia, a famous bandit named José María, whose exploits were the talk of the country. Suppose I am really with José María, thought I. Then I told all the stories I knew of that hero. But all to his credit, you may be sure and I expressed my great admiration for his bravery and his generosity. "'José Maria is only a rogue,' the stranger replied coldly. "'Does he do himself justice, or is it mock modesty?' I asked myself. Far from examining so closely my companion, I had come to identify him with the description of José Maria that I had seen posted on the gates of many towns of Andalusia. "'Yes,' thought I, "'it is he indeed. Blonde hair, blue eyes, large mouth, beautiful teeth, small hands, fine linen, a velvet vest with silver buttons, gaiters of white skin, and a bay horse, there is no doubt of it. But let us respect his incognito. We arrived at the benta. It was just what he had described to me, one of the worst I had yet seen. One large room served as kitchen, dining-room, and chamber. On a stone flag in the middle of the room the fire was made, and the smoke passed out through a hole cut in the roof or rather hung in clouds a few feet above the floor. Along the wall, five or six old mule blankets were stretched out upon the floor. These were the beds for travellers. About twenty paces from the house, or rather from the single room I have just described, was built a kind of shed used for a stable. In this charming retreat there were no other persons just then except an old woman and a little girl, both as black as soot and horribly ragged. "'Behold,' cried I to myself, "'all that remains of the population of the ancient Munda Baitica. "'O Caesar! "'O Sextus Pompey! "'Amazed would you be, could you come back to this world!' "'When she saw my companion, the old woman gave a cry of surprise. "'Ah, Señor Don José!' "'Don José frowned, and raised his hand with a gesture of command, "'which stopped the old woman at once.' I turned to my guide, and by a covert sign I made him understand that he could tell me nothing about the man with whom I was going to pass the night. The supper was better than I had anticipated there. They served us, upon a little table about a foot high, an old cock, fricasseed with rice and pimentos, then pimentos in oil, and finally gazpacho, a sort of salad of pimentos. Three courses thus seasoned forced us to have recourse, very often, to a skin of montilla wine which seemed delicious. After supper, seeing a mandolin hanging from the wall— there are mandolins everywhere in Spain— I asked the little girl, who had waited upon us, if she could play. No, she answered. But Don José can play. Oh, so well! Will you be so good as to sing me something, said I to him? I love passionately your national music. I can refuse nothing to so polite a man, who gives me such good cigars, cried Don José, with an air of good humour, and, being given the instrument, he sang and accompanied himself. His voice was harsh, but nevertheless agreeable, the air sad and weird. As for the words, I did not understand a single one. If I am not mistaken, I said, that is not a Spanish song which you have just sung. It resembles the Zosikos, which I have heard in the provinces, and the words seem to be Basque. Yes, answered Don José with a sombre air.